Hello and welcome to Open Door Films. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Fountain, a podcasting platform that allows you to earn Bitcoin while you listen to your favorite podcasts. That's right. This podcasting app that allows you to send Satoshis, aka increments of Bitcoin, to your favorite creators as a means of financial support. Plus, you can actually earn Bitcoin as you listen to them, which is great because in addition to being a great productivity hack, the fact that you can listen to podcasts on Fountain and earn money in the process is hardly an opportunity you want to pass down. And I think in many ways, it's a great avenue for creators and fans to support one another in a sense. And this leads me to my next sponsor, that being Anchor. Anchor is a podcasting platform that allows you to create your own podcast for free and distribute it across multiple podcasting apps. Whether you're talking Apple, Spotify, Lisbon, CurioCaster, Fountain, PodFreeze, the whole shebang, which is a word I never grow tired of using. Now, I'm really excited about my two guests today, Michael and Josie Herman. They are both filmmakers working out of Los Angeles and also podcasters, I was surprised to learn. Their podcast is called Call of the Void, which apparently to them is a, a podcasting series or audio drama, basically like the old radio dramas from the old, age, old days before the dawn of television. And from what they told me, they told me it operates on a very Lovecraftian belt. Uh, oh, God, tongue twist there. It operates on a very Lovecraftian venue, and I found that rather interesting being a fan of Lovecraft, as well as a fan of The Yellow King, because we did talk about True Detective and even Homecoming, which ironically, for those who are fans of the first season of Homecoming and even the second season, even though I haven't seen the second season, Homecoming was spawned from a podcasting series, basically an audio drama, and not only did we discuss podcasting, audio dramas, we also talked about independent film, the rise of social media platforms, which are becoming sensory overload mechanisms. I mean, for those of you who are already on your TikTok or getting addicted to it, you'll understand more. I'm not a TikToker, if that's what they're called. But anyway, I hope you all enjoy my interview with Michael and Josie Herman. I hope you check out their, the links to the films they've made, the podcast series they've created, and even some of the upcoming projects that are already in the works. Anyway, I hope you all enjoy this episode of Open Door Films. Till next time. Okay, Michael, Josie, thank you for giving me the time of your day to do this in, this interview. And uh, I mean, I was very fascinated by your work. And I mean, the fact that you've worked for play, places like TikTok and Spotify or something to talk are something or um, interest. And I just wanted to know more about your work in film overall. And and if we end up talking about Spotify and TikTok, that'd be great. But uh, just Tell me a little bit about yourselves as filmmakers. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for having us on. We yeah. really appreciate it. My name is Michael Herman. I'm Josie. And we are, yeah, we're uh, filmmakers. We're podcast makers. We are uh, theater artists and we work a lot of different mediums and uh, we just love them. We love how how different and dynamic each of those mediums can be. But I guess where to start with... Um, Call the Void is a good, a great place to start. So there's a podcast that we work on together. Um, uh, it's an audio fiction podcast, fully immersive, called The Call of the Void, which mm-hmm. is sort of a Lovecraftian spooky podcast. Yeah, it's fully narrative. There's three seasons of it. Um, and we, um, we wrote it specifically for audio. Uh, we were really passionate about it being, um, being something that, that uh, would would 
be the best as an audio in audio format. So it's not just a screenplay or a play or a book that we kind of just made into audio. It's really written to be audio. Yeah. And so that presents its, its like unique challenges and uh, even some sort of like weird uh, nuanced things that we found out about the audio medium. Like you don't want to play too many police sirens because a lot of people are driving when they listen to audio. So yeah. that freaks out audience members when you hear, they hear police sirens. And there's a balance them. too about uh, uh, giving dialogue and sound effects that It's really about the, the emotional weight, basically carrying the emotional weight of the narrative within it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and, and also uh, like carrying that emotional weight, carrying through the plot and also making it clear to the audience because uh, without a visual element and we also don't have a narrator or anything, it's completely immersive. It's completely like basically television, a television for your ears. For your ears. Uh, there's tricks that we've found work pretty well for making that, making just the audience understand what's going on because you know you like say you're doing an action scene and someone picks up a gun from a table well they don't see that so how are you going to do that audio wise audio. Yeah. <laughs> mm. yeah and how oh go ahead were you gonna say something well i wanted i i actually heard that the tv show homecoming was very much inspired by an audio podcast and i wanted to know if you took inspirations from podcasts of a similar nature because i've never listen to a narrative podcast like homecoming but what you're describing is very is very old school in a sense because that's how radio used to operate within the radio dramas before television became popular and i even remember as a child i had these i mean this is me going back to when i was basically a toddler um i mean do you remember the cartoon darkwing duck absolutely yeah. the best <laughs> well there was a. Uh, there were these books that came with these tapes that would basically play the audio from the tapes. I mean, the, yeah, there was some narrate, mild narration within it, but they would capture those sound effects. And as kooky as that was, it was heavily entertaining and engaging in the sense that it carried, it also managed to carry the emotional weight of those mini narratives of which those tapes were based on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that did come from Spotify. So you mentioned Spotify um, earlier in the call. So I worked at, at Spotify when they were jumping over and uh, merging podcasts into the platform. Um, remember, this is like about four or five years ago. Um, Spotify spent lots of money on podcasts and really went all in on not just music, but bringing podcasts to light on their platform. And I was one of the sort of like tiger teams that was responsible to bring some of that content over. I was working for, Parkcast. yeah, I was working for Parcast, which is a, a great company that, um, that does mostly like historical facts. You know, they do deep dives into cults and serial killers and, uh, conspiracy theories, things like that. And it was very academic focused. And, um, it was very uh, like kind of like watching History Channel, but just hearing it in your ears, and uh, that was that was very fun and engaging. But I felt like there could be more of a narrative element to this kind of medium, and I was uh, not alone in that thinking because that's when we sort of stumbled into Rabbits and some other narrative podcasts like mm -hmm. Homecoming, exactly right, that inspired us yeah. to make this show. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, then, then we went rogue <laughs> and kind of developed the show on our own, mm -hmm. on our own two feet, and uh, uh, co-authored together. Um, Josie directed and brought all the characters and the world to life, um, and it's done, since done very well. It's over three quarters of a million downloads globally, and it's well on its way to a million mm -hmm. um, to uh, to hit that benchmark. So oh, yeah. that's fantastic. And you mentioned that there's a Lovecraftian element to it. 
what is it about i mean obviously does it border more on horror or fr- or of a thriller i mean what particular question because when you think about lovecraft you can incorporate that into many narratives i mean definitely the narrative has to be serious to a certain extent i mean one of the best examples of that i think in many ways about going supernatural is a show like the first season of true detective which oh, the best it had some elements of lovecraft so much as like it's in it's in the tone of the of the of the show someone rather than just going anywhere supernatural if that makes any sense yeah Absolutely, with the whole uh, the yellow, king. yellow king. Yeah, they make an explicit reference to the yellow king, who's not a Lovecraft character, but he's a Robert Chambers character, very much in, in line the world of lo- in lo- the world lo- of Lovecraft. And, and from my experience of reading both the yellow king novel and the graphic novel, because there actually is a graphic novelization, I often feel like there's a meta aspect to that book. Like it's a book about a guy who reads a book called The Yellow King and goes insane. Yep. But it's been such a long time since I've read that book that I can't comment any further on it than what I'm saying. Sure. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. But yeah, we definitely wanted to have that Lovecraftian flavor. Um, I think that in some ways we do try to bring that idea of Lovecraft into you know another era. Like we're in a different place mm-hmm. now socially and politically than Lovecraft was. You know, yeah. um, than the 20s. Yeah. Um, we and- have a lot of references to Lovecraft. I wouldn't say that it's necessarily like an adaptation for anything from everything Lovecraft. It's its own unique story. Um, definitely, there's references all over the place. And there's sure. even we even do reference the the Yellow King. There's um, that's like integrated into the story. It's just inspired by the Yellow King somewhat, and and it kind of. We take it a different way, but um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but it isn't, yeah, we don't have Cthulhu at all in the story. There's no, yeah. you know, none of that. Um, so it's kind of its own thing. Yeah, and it is, uh, you asked about the genre. Um, <clears throat> sometimes we are um, on the shelf with horror. I, I wouldn't necessarily call it, it's not that scary as, as some horror things. I would generally say it's more of a sci- science fiction. Yeah. Um, more of a thriller, more of a science yeah, fiction. Yeah, more of a, a mystery thriller science fiction. <laughs> Do you think that tr- the, the term horror has ad- adopted a much more broad, a broader interpretation? Because there are a lot of films out there that aren't necessarily horror genre based, but they do incorporate so many elements of horror that they just ask more terrifying questions than what your average horror film would ask. I mean, perfect example, you, yeah. you focus on sci-fi and yet there's a sci-fi film I can't watch because midway there's just a scene that freaks me out beyond even what I can watch, but it asks those kinds of terrifying questions. And the film I'm re- regarding is High Life with Robert Pattinson. And oh, oh, yeah. so you know what scene I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. we do. We absolutely yeah. do. After that, it it ruins every other horror. Well, not ruins so much as it makes every other horror scene in that film that is less intense just uncomfortable within your own skin mm-hmm. and yeah films like that just even though they're, they're more focused on science fiction they tackle themes that are just horrifying by their own nature and i just wanted your comments on the idea of horror and how that's changing in cinema yeah well i think that horror has come a long way um since like the classic 80s movies i think that people do want to see a theme that is it's kind of a powerful theme or a theme that has either a social message or a moral message or just something like um we, we're seeing these films uh such as get out mm. and um they're just very powerful statements on i mean get out has a has a, such a beautiful message and, and a kind of a scary message about racism 
No, oh, yeah. And, um, and I think that, that that just speaks volumes more than um, kind of the, the, the horror movies from 20, 30 years ago. And I think that that is now becoming the norm. I think that people, after you've done that a couple times, it's almost like, well, like we, we, that's what we want now. That's almost like what we expect is, is something that's a little bit more developed and a little bit like a, a theme or a message or just some content within it that just means a little something more than just kind of your standard slasher. Yeah, I think A24 probably has like a lot of um, influence in that, you know, mm -hmm. um, where A24 just takes a lot of risks. And um, I think that we see a lot of films yeah. that are in the horror genre, but feel very different, you know, than a normal horror. Yeah, and and you you also mentioned that the, the kind of, or talking about kind of the crossing of genres, I feel like some, horror now is like we we're starting to see science fiction horror we're starting to see um horror that's supernatural and horror that's not supernatural yeah. even like superhero horror yeah superhero yeah. horror mm -hmm. um yeah, yeah. i think one even on a, a level when it's not trying to operate on the on the in the form of horror i think that there are just moments that just leave you questions that you don't have answers to and the fact that you can't answer them implies horrifying things you mentioned get out because when you say that that talks about racism, it really just talks about how race can be weaponized on a political level. I mean, come any election time, race will always become an issue for either the right or the left to, mani mm -hmm. to manipulate to a certain extent. And once they get their votes in, they just say, fuck the people that we were pretending to support. Mm -hmm. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. I think, you know, it's really interesting. I think the more like globalized we become and the more we can like sort of see how different like cultures and how uh, genre is done in different places around the world, I think we do sort of start to grab from those different pieces. And that also sort of contributes to this kind of like spider web of different like genres kind of being combined. It's almost like, how can you combine genres in unique ways rather than like, how can you be like a unique genreist, you know, um, yeah. which is cool. I mean, I don't think that that's like a bad thing. I think if anything, it does open up some like unique, cool combinations. I think it's always important to to recognize like what you can bring to art and genre you know and where can we like maybe uh, push into a different direction so i think that's good to keep your eye on as like kind of a, a compass but um but i think by and by like the mixing is is cool yeah are there any film any wow well, any recent films that give you this uh, that further support this that you've seen oh of like the mixing of of genre in that way mm -hmm. yeah i mean once again i think i go to like a lot of a24 films but um um, the first one that came to mind weirdly was like The Green Knight, which is like such a weird film that you almost can't put a genre mm -hmm. to it. Which I didn't really like that film. Yeah, it's but... a bizarre film. Um, but I think that's a good but example. But it's a good example of a weird mixed genre film. <laughs> yeah, I think maybe something like The Lighthouse too, even some of those where mm -hmm. it's like a drama, but it's also definitely horror, but it's also a comedy. And it's, you and know, it's in many ways. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I think it really tries to be many things. Um, which is really interesting. Um, and, and once again, it may be A24 that is putting a lot of that into the world, but I don't know, even another good example, if we go more uh, mainstream, something like Moon Knight with, uh, with Marvel, we're seeing that as a very scary uh, genre um, or very scary uh, television series, but it's also very funny and it's sort of a mystery element. So I think it's got a, a, a very weird mix for a superhero film all bundled up. Yeah, I was skeptical. I mean, I haven't seen any of the Marvel shows but when I heard they were doing Moon Knight and having read the character in various interpretations. And I thought to myself, that's 
kind of a weird place for Marvel for this version of Marvel to go, given their, the stage they're in. Because, I mean, I don't know how you feel about She-Hulk. I haven't seen the show, but I saw clips of Daredevil, and uh, they kind of ruined something that was good to start with. I mean, I was very, I mean, I was disappointed to learn that the Netflix series was canceled. And what I admired about that series was that it wasn't ashamed of going to the level of something like Breaking Bad or The Sopranos from time to time. Yeah. And still while being a great super, uh, a great drama, but after seeing how he was changed, just the tone of that character was drastically changed in She-Hulk. It made me skeptical about Moon Knight because Moon Knight is not a character that I would even think. I, well, I, I used to work a desk job at a gym and there were certain times where I had to watch over the kids in the daycare. And I was amazed that some kid, like some 10 year old boy actually liked Moon Knight. And I was like, because he asked, <laughs> me, yeah, what superheroes do you like? And that kind of got me into Moon Knight. And then I learned about Moon Knight. And not only is he a very complex character, but very, very, I don't know if, if mainstream audiences would be interested in that, but uh, yeah, just tell me more about that show because I heard that the first few episodes were great, but then it kind of trailed off. You mean uh, She-Hulk or, or Moon Knight? Oh, no, Moon Knight from the tone that was, from the more A24 yeah. tone you, you saw in it. Yeah. What I like about A24 is that they are willing to take risks and make movies that explore ideas, something more mainstream, that is less common now in mainstream from mainstream studios. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think in general, we liked Moon Knight. Yeah. Um, I, I do think, I, I think what you just said there was um, our, our impression of it as well. I think the first couple episodes are like, oh, this is good. This is a like, weird mystery. Really, yeah, yeah cool. really, really cool. I'm invested. I think it got a little schizophrenic with its structure after a couple episodes. Um, and I don't remember how we felt about the ending, do you? Yeah, I felt like, well, it, I don't think it's a complete story. And I think it's been renewed for a second season. I actually not sure about that, but the story could certainly continue the way that it was left off. And I don't think it ended with this sort of closure that I guess people were hoping for, but yeah but i think at its root it was trying to be a character driven story and i think yeah. that's cool um in a world where like plot and you know cgi is often favored i think it's cool to see something that looks at a character who has like many persons inside of him and try to spend some time with each of those persons and to get to understand them yeah so that's I, cool. I think what was kind of cool about it to me is it explored multi-personal uh multi-personal multi yeah yeah um and um that's something that identity, like, like identity, multi yeah identity yeah disorder. no it's exactly not, exactly I, I can't believe i'm forgetting the name of that disorder because i was a big fan yeah, well, it's did it's disassociative identity oh disorder. dissociative identity disorder. yeah um so it's like it's exploring a superhero that has just a real i mean it's it's not really even part of his you know it's not like oh i was injected with something and now i have this thing it's like no he just has that and he's also a superhero. So I think it's like, it, it is, it's like superhero plus uh, an exploration of somebody with a real condition. Condition, And and even that is a little bit of like crossing, crossing do borders they leave, and crossing genres. Do they leave where he got these powers to an ambiguous note? Because in the original comics, it's some Egyptian godlike force that lives inside him. But from what you're yeah. describing, the show doesn't make it clear whether it's really in his head or... If he really they do happened. eventually. 
they do eventually um they do, do clarify yeah. that and we're sort of spoiling some of the mid-season arc and stuff like that in saying that but yes they do eventually like say that and, and you do get a sense that this egyptian entity was able to give mm -hmm. him some powers and things but but only one part of him has that ability um and, and those powers the yeah other persons that's right. don't it's, have that. yeah so I, yeah i'm not sure if this is the way it was in the comics or not but so he has multi multi multiple persons inside of him one is a superhero and the other one is not so mm. um i thought what so, you so, yeah. i know that the film joker took a similar approach because you never really know for certain if any of that really happened in his head <laughs> yeah just, yeah and, that's another really really great example of a film that is just and, like and when you think Very, of the, the most honest parts of the Joker as a character, yes, he's a nihilist, but he's also a narcissist. And true. unfortunately, the the film doesn't make it clear whether, I mean, they even stated that he's not even the real Joker. It's just basically a man who is fixated on being important. And because, I mean, even the opening of the film has like a sign saying everything must go. And I guess that's a hint of all expectations. And I didn't know if Moon yeah. had taken a similar approach because that would have been a gutsy move for Marvel of all places, given that they would have told you that he's actually possessed by this Egyptian spirit. Yeah, and again, they eventually do get there and they do reveal that, which is great. But um, yeah, I don't think it's quite as ambiguous as Joker, which I which we did enjoy. Um, Joker is a hard film to watch because it's hard to watch somebody struggling, you know, um, be bullied and beat down. You know, that's difficult to watch, you know, that's just on, on screen so it's like a documentary into the mind of a mentally ill person because yeah. i think it's even much darker than a lot of people interpret because there are other hints that are more culturally based that people don't know about i mean there's, i mean if you look at john wayne gacy and how much that was an influence for the film True. I think there are, in, there are even darker elements in the narrative that don't paint the character in such a sympathetic light yes you're right and i think that like sympathy for the character that, you're right, that wasn't really like a primary objective, you know, I think it was more about this conversation and it was more about, um, yeah, like the, the, um, this, this very unique identity, this sort of construction of that, which is cool. Well, the sympathy idea was a topic of discussion when the film came out because I don't know if you remember all the media, the, the media craziness around it because the, it was the idea that it was promoting violence or making you sympathize with a sociopath. True. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that was a big discussion. I do remember that. Uh, um, yeah. And what do you feel as people who work in film about the role the media plays within film? Because nowadays it feels like a major studio won't touch a property unless it's much more patent patent down. I mean, I guess I'm only asking because most of the guests I've interviewed have just been independent filmmakers who have a much more skeptical view of the studio system and. Uh, what are your thoughts on the current state of the studio system? That's a great question. I mean, the studio system is a machine and it works very well as a machine. And I think that that's an important thing to just sort of keep in mind. Um, they they don't take as much risks because obviously they have these tent poles and they have these expectations that are uh, that need to be satisfied in, in their various genres. So we see a very slow meter stick that moves with the culture, I think with the studio system. And it sort of bends and it flows. And um, as a result, we see pictures that are 
um, we talk about like universality versus like auteurship. They're more universal, right? They're shooting for as many like butts and seats as they can. They're trying to get as, as sort of that big general audience. And, and sure, like the culture might shift a little bit here nor there, but they are trying to go for that more universal, wow, that more universal hit, which makes sense because there's more money in that. The independent system obviously takes more risks and challenges and says like, let's let's go into this far right place because we can and because we've just squirreled together enough money that we can make this picture and people who are going to see this um, are going to be like, you know, hipsters and fellow like artours who want to see something weird, you know. Um, so I don't think that the studio system is like evil or wrong or anything like that. I just think that it's a machine that's sort of moving in tandem with culture um, rather than like a machine that's that's trying to like break or bend that culture, you know. Um, I just think that and, and you know, not every independent film like changes culture either. I mean, it's not like that's that simple of an equation, but I think that that is sort of how I see those two different entities. You're right, I do think more independent as people can probably tell listening yeah. to me already, but um, I think that both systems work. You know? Do you think that there's a greater risk of the studio system creating a greater a conditioning, a greater way of how people view films and even objectifying the way that they define the culture because Obviously, I'm sure none of us here are fans of Rotten Tomatoes or how they operate within the, the way they judge films. I mean, I I guess I, the best example I can give is, uh, say you were to watch a Lars von Trier film, which gets a much more divisive reception as opposed to a typical Marvel film. And one film I really didn't like a few years ago was Spider-Man Far From, Far From Home, the second one, not the recent one. Sure. And yet oh, yeah. I still couldn't understand how a film so empty and devoid of of any heart could have it like a 90 something on Rotten Tomatoes. And yeah. I think in many ways that there's a danger that because it kind of, it kind of shapes the way people think about movies. And I guess this goes back to a clip I saw of Anthony Mackie talking about how nowadays the way people consume films is they often go to Rotten Tomatoes to determine whether the film is good or not, rather than just simply making their own, their own judgments. I mean, I think yeah. I think Lars von Trier's Antichrist, despite the mixed reception, is a masterpiece. Sure, that you know that's a really good question. Like this sort of you know um, mob sculpting of a of a rating for a, a film. You're right; like it has its place. Um, yeah. Well, you know, we've talked about um, people uh, reviewing things and like uh, critics in general, and I think critics are very important. I think that especially professional critics are very important because they have an educated opinion about uh, that piece of cinema. And they also have an audience that's associated with their you know, criticism. They have this career that they've built and sort of a trust that they have with their audience. And particularly critics who are in a certain type, like they, like a critic who focuses on horror or a critic who focuses on superhero films, they like kind of have background a, a background in that and they know they kind of know what they're saying <laughs> sure. and um these days I, I think it's it's almost a little bit of a shame I think that anyone can get on the internet and literally I mean we're so used to this that we we kind of like we kind of uh hold it for granted or, or just or, or it's it's almost like weird to think that that to think of anything different than this but it's like weird kind of that we can just go online and give a review for any film or any any piece of artwork and our rating affects things like we can on apple podcasts we can give one star to a show maybe there's it. yeah maybe there's nothing wrong with that show maybe we just didn't like it or it wasn't for us or 
I don't know, maybe we had a grudge against the person who made it or something, but, but now that one star will affect that show in some way. It'll bring down the rating or another person will go and go, oh, one star, okay, well, not sure. a very good show. Yeah. Um, so I, I do think that there's, there's a difference there between a critic uh, who writes an educated review, a non-partial educated review from a perspective of, of like an under, understanding and and uh, objectiveness on it, and just a mob mentality of like I'm going to rate it because I want to inflate my own ego, yeah, and feel important and because it, I said something and the same positive or negative about about it. Absolutely, about the same it. thing can be like done with like IMDb. The same thing can be done with like you were saying Rotten Tomatoes. Rotten Tomatoes. There's a lot of these sort of engines that allow uh, people to to swarm to them, and that does allow the opportunity for you know, for, for, you know, you were saying like trolls or something like that. I was just thinking about um, the rings of power. How did you hear that? They like shut down um, the ability to rate and review for the first 48 hours um, on wow. Apple or on, on Amazon, because they were getting such weird reviews. Yeah. And there was like a lot of people. That's new that? to me. No. Yeah. So yeah. for the first 48 hours, because we were there and we tried to give it a review and you couldn't because um, there were so many people flocking to it and uh, spamming the one stars that it was like doing some weird things yeah. with uh, the actual rating system of the show, right. which, you know, and I, uh, I don't think that there's like a, a clean answer to that. Cause I'm not saying that like people shouldn't have the ability to, yeah. to have ownership over property and to say that they have an opinion. And of course people should have opinions about mm -hmm. art. I mean, we should be able to have the chance to, to say things, but, mm -hmm. but it is weird that you're right. You can flock to it and you can dramatically change a property and tell the world that it's bad just by yeah. kind of masses. Or that it's good. Or that yeah. it's good, like as you were saying, or say that it's good. Well, the mob mentality aspect has always concerned me, that's for sure. But the way that the way we're consuming films now is shaping the way people think or even just consume them overall is concerning because if, all, if they're being conditioned to simply love tentpole or superhero films, the minute they even get a minor glimpse of more independently oriented film, like the kind you like, they'll just immediately be turned off from just one simple impression rather than even go seeing the entire trailer. Sure. I, I mean, I'm, I hope I'm not sounding pessimistic, but when I went to see uh, Denis Villeneuve's Prisoners, it was packed. And yet I don't think that would happen today. I don't I just don't believe people will go flock to see a film like that. And that's we love Prisoners. Yeah. Prisoners is an excellent film. Yeah, love that film. Yeah, and it's not his 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 largest film. It's one of it, it's a re, it's what you would what we used to be called a regular movie, in a sense. I mean, it's yeah. intense, it's complex, it explores dark themes, but it's basically a mystery movie about missing children. We've seen plenty of those. Just doesn't yeah. go, a lot of them don't go to the intellectual depths that Denis knows Prisoners does. And yet when I went to see it in, on, on the weekend it premiered, it was completely packed. Yet I don't see a film like that ever being packed anymore, that type of film. And even those types of films rarely come out unless they are associated with a more independent background. Yeah, sure. Well, you know, what's yeah. really interesting is this, uh, the engine behind Prisoners, the idea of this missing child and trying to find them and um, Hugh Jackman looking for his kid. Um, mm -hmm. That became the inspiration or like the impetus for Stranger, Stranger Things. Things. And yeah. they're very public about that, that they saw prisoners. Yeah. And then the idea for season one was um, a missing child. It's like Will is missing. And they're, they're like, yeah, we saw prisoners and thought that was genius to have this like tension hang over the audience for the whole movie. And they're like, let's do that for an entire television so, uh, show for a whole season. Yeah, whole season. And that's why you're like, oh, get Will back by the end of season one. You're just trying, you're hoping so hard that they, that they get Will. And yeah. so I think that's one of those examples where like 
we saw an independent go to a far left, yeah. and then we saw well, some more. I don't know if it was necessarily independent, but but I mean, definitely not a, a tentpole superhero film. Yeah, and but the right, we saw it go with the far left, and then you're right, then more of like a mainstream grabbing it and saying like, yeah, let's go in this direction. Mm -hmm. So it's cool. Yeah. It's interesting to see that. But you're right. It is. It is. Do people still take a chance on an independent film like that? I don't know. I would hope so, but I would I don't hope know. so. Yeah. The optimists in us are like, I hope so. I hope people are going to go check it out. Are you optimistic? No, go ahead. Yeah, but I think that there's there's no shortage of those independent films coming out on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. You just have to like look for them. What yeah. about the state of yeah. the, oh, about uh, what about the state of the movie theater itself? Because as oh. more, as more streaming, because I mean there are a lot of streaming platforms already, and the and pandemic certainly accelerated the growth of, of streaming services and their use, but. And as new streaming platforms are are developed, what does that make you think about the theater experience overall? Because yes, there are still theaters that show independent movies, but if it becomes a matter of convenience for people, where does that leave you thinking about the theater itself? Because with some filmmakers I've talked about, the only reason some theaters might stick around is just to keep the superhero and the tentpole event films like Top Gun, which I heard yeah. was a tentpole event. I haven't seen it because I'm not really interested in those films, so. Yeah, well, I think things are definitely shifting uh, whether whether or not we like them or not. I think, <laughs> I think uh, we are seeing more streaming than theater. I think that independent filmmakers are smart about that. And, and um, I think a lot of them are gravitating towards rather than trying to get their movie into a theater, they're going, okay, what streaming services can we put this on? So um, I'm a little old fashioned in that I just, I like movie theaters. Uh, uh, I, I don't know if that's old fashioned or not, um, but but I, I mean, I, I love movie in theaters. Practical. Yeah, in, but in, in practicality, like we are looking as, as independent filmmakers, we are looking more at streaming services these days than, uh, than trying to get things into a movie theater. Yeah, and all of our friends, are the same way they're always looking for streamers we're looking for a place that we can get our films yeah. online and honestly in academic institutions i was talking with some of my friends from usc recently they're being taught the same thing too they're being taught that this film will succeed if they can get it to a streaming service you know mm -hmm. if they can get it to one of those platforms then their their vision is gonna succeed mm -hmm. um and so they're playing the festival circuit or they're doing whatever they can to get enough you know yeah credentials to yeah. get it to a streaming service yeah i think it That's used to be to like get get a uh, distribution at like yeah some, regionally or some regionally kind of, or something yeah. like that and now it's it's to get distribution uh, at like what streaming service yeah and i think it's just convenient like you said i think it's easy for people to uh, pick and choose on their streaming mm -hmm. services and i think yeah. we're just going to see uh, more and more of those so. um yeah do you think there's a danger of overabundance and choice because when it comes to the amount of streaming services now i mean i only have free streaming services two of them are part of a family plan but yeah. The idea that we have, we're suffering from like even the burden of options itself is is something I worry about because I mean, whenever I go on a streaming service to decide what movie I want to see, and I still buy Blu-rays, but do you ever get that sensation that you can't really decide what you want to watch next after you've completed it? And it doesn't yes. have to be a television show because this used to be a problem with the binge watching phenomenon. And I think it was rather smart that they started changing that model where they're releasing one episode a week of a particular show that's very popular as opposed to just cranking out the whole season at once. I think so too. And, and um, I think there definitely is a danger of that um, because I, I felt the same way when about, um, about books when, uh, when it became so easy to self-publish. Uh, we got 
like an infinite number. just an <laughs> infinite number of books that were not so good because <laughs> there's not that the same sort of um system of kind of blocking blocking things yeah, that are gates. not good yeah gatekeeping and, and i'm not necessarily saying gatekeeping is a good thing but you know now we have thousands and thousands and millions of books published that have that are just not good they're terribly written i have like like basic typos in them even but you can any buy these books examples? on amazon any famous examples so Sure, I think one of them is like trapped in an island with um, Josh. Oh, that's just that's just fan fiction. Oh, that's, oh, that's um, fan fiction. But yeah, I, I mean, I I don't necessarily read them, but sometimes I'll I'll just see some. I I think there was an article that I read one time of like worst books that were published on Amazon or something like that, and it's just funny to kind of look through them. I I can't no names kind of come to mind, but you even see the covers and the cover art is like basic cliff art, and it's just so like absurdly absurdly cheap looking, and, and I. I think that um i think that movies uh you there is a danger of of that happening as well because there's so many different platforms there's so much uh in the air and it almost almost anybody can do anything at any level and get it on online somehow um however i'm going to say at the at the flip side of that um that does allow for people that don't have big budgets and don't have a lot of experience to at least get something out there. Yeah. So from a creator standpoint, at least you're not being gatekept of being like, well, I want to make a film, but Marvel won't hire, hire me. So I guess I'll never make a film. You know, you can, even if it's not perfect, you can do your best shot for your first film that you ever made and you can put it on some kind of some stuff. kind of yeah, streaming like whether yeah, that's tv whether that's yeah you know, yeah amazon. even yeah even if it's amazon or i mean even if it's youtube, if it's YouTube yeah. yeah you can you can have something that you made be oh there are alternatives because even youtube itself it's yeah. funny that you mentioned the rings of power fun, uh situation yeah. where because that surprised me that they kind of uh denied their ability to rate to rate certain episodes it's kind yeah. of like what's happened with the YouTube dislike button. You see the number of likes on a particular video, but the number of dislikes are gone. And I think there was gone. a point. Wasn't there a point where they had taken away the dislike button? I yes. think so. There was. Yeah. Yep. That was a big choice. And there was actually, there was some talk about it, whether they would, whether they wouldn't. And you're right. The dislike button is gone. And um, that's been very polarizing for people since. But I think, uh, um, yeah, that's, you're right. That's definitely like a, a conscious decision that they made mm. to remove that aspect of it. Yeah. yeah definitely the reason that the new alternatives are are being made i mean some of the more popular once popular youtube stars are flocking to other platforms like rumble or rockfin and i think there's something interesting about the decentralized aspect because i used yeah. to I, I i still write short film scripts because you know i'm not a filmmaker i'm just a screenwriter i publish some of my short film scripts on my Substack because you know what i figured you know, there's there are screenwriting websites but they're owned by a third party and obviously no agent is looking at them either way. So yeah. might as well be ignored on a platform that lets you own the content that you wrote. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I don't know if you're familiar with Substack, but obviously it's been much more of a hub for journalists given the main, the legacy media itself is kind of losing its own credibility. Gotcha. Interesting. Yeah. I yeah, I yeah, don't know that I platform know too much about it. No. Um, that you're talking about, but I'll definitely check it out. That's super. Oh cool. yeah. So, There's a Joe. Rogan. A... I mean, oh go. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, after you, Joe Rogan. You're talking about it. 
there's a Joe Rogan interview with one of the founders of Substack, Christopher Best, and they just talk about the multiple models of which you can make an income on Substack as a writer, because a lot of people who once worked in the media have just fled to Substack with their own frustration. Because I mean, I doubt you or, or many people you know watch CNN or MSNBC or Fox. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the millennial way to like want to be your own boss, you know, yeah. to, to not have to have a boss over you is I think a very like millennial uh, <laughs> sort of like, I don't know, characteristic, you know, mm-hmm. um, but uh, that's very interesting. Yeah. I think the idea to like have a little place that of ownership for something is, yeah. is a cool idea. Yeah. That's really cool. Has that made you, have you ever considered launching your own platform regarding your podcast or any of the other things you're working on? Our own platform as in like a, um, a way to distribute it or our own platform as yeah. in how do you, oh, um, I don't well, think podcasting. so. Yeah. Well, well, for, um, for podcasting, it's been pretty easy because so we own all of the content. We we've looked into the possibilities of selling it to like our iHeartRadio or something like that. Sure. We ultimately um, are not as interested in that because we like the ownership of our, of our own stuff. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, however, uh, with with podcasting, it's pretty easy. So we use a platform called Anchor, which is like you keep oh, all your own. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Anchor's great. Yeah, and and that goes on everywhere. You know, it'll go on all of the podcast plat uh, uh, the podcast apps and platforms. Uh, just that you could think of. Yeah. yeah, that you can think of. Yeah. yeah, which is not the case for film. Obviously, you can't just yeah. publish a film online and then you can't just like publish your film on YouTube and then get it on Netflix. And like it, on it Netflix. doesn't work. That. Yeah. But for the podcast medium in particular, it is very open. And I think it's because podcasts are like from the internet, and I think people yeah. just sort of have more of that mindset where like I should be able to publish this online and it should be able to be viewed and accessible everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, and I agree with your statement that you made earlier about not being a big fan of gatekeepers because the fact that YouTube, which used to be a place has become has adopted a much more uh, bigger role as a censorship model is alarming because mm. I guess I mean does that make you worry itself about even the studio system because it seems like they're becoming even selective about the type of content even in the stuff they're more interested in and I guess this all goes back to the superhero film because I think that as superhero films take over the ones that are actually worth like investing your time in seem like the ones that operate as love letters to cinema. I've brought this up before with other guests because uh, let's take for ex- example, the Joker and the new Batman film that came out, they weren't necessarily the standard superhero film or, com- or comic book film would be more accurate because the Joker is not a superhero, but they were love letters to old fashioned cinema. And I don't know if that makes you more optimistic also about the superhero model, because now, obviously uh, when I think of Marvel, I do think of, I'm not a fan of Zack Snyder, but I did agree with a statement he made about the whole flavor of the week. Absolutely. You know, that's a really um, good thought that you bring up there. Oh, you still with us? Yeah, I'm still with you. I don't know if you... I'll grant. Yeah. Good question. Yeah, I think, you know, I think that the superhero genre, like like any genre, like once it gets established enough um i think that it it has to do something surprising and shocking um it has to to evolve it has to evolve you know and i think that um that when it evolves it it has to go to a new place and i think that's what we're seeing with the superhero genre and i think we've seen that with many other genres as well that when it like starts to become its own identity 
it needs to change into shape and grow. Otherwise it kind of just dies. And so I think that that's, um, that's what we're seeing um, with this with this superhero genre is that they're grabbing inspiration from your right old cinema and things like that, but they're just trying to be more art house. So they're trying to be something that's a little bit different. And I think that's where they're reaching to. I think those are some of the most successful. Um, I think like um, with like Thor, um, Thor Ragnarok, when that came out, um, I think it was because it was so fresh and different. That's one of the reasons why that genre worked that way, you know? And I think if I may, I think even that's why Thor Ragnarok worked so well. And uh, the next Love Thor, Love and Thunder wasn't as well received is because it wasn't as fresh of a, it was kind of like, well, Thor Ragnarok worked a, very well, let's do it again. Um, and and, and I, I was okay with it. I, I you know, I was I didn't yeah, it was, hate it. It was sweet. It didn't was, hate yeah. it, but but I, I didn't. I haven't yeah, seen it, so I can't comment. I mean, Ragnarok yeah. I've seen twice, and I loved it because of the yeah. way it paying tribute to the old eighties space operas. Yes, yes, yes. And I feel like that was so that was so new and so fresh to have like I mean like uh, Taika Waititi kind of reinvented Thor with that that film. I think Thor: Love and Thunder was a little bit more like hey. Taika Waititi, remember when you did that? Let's do it again. Yeah, it's um, second one. Yeah. And, uh, and, and it didn't quite, it was okay. You know, I, I didn't hate it, but it didn't quite feel as fresh as Ragnarok, I think. Do you think he was operating with a hand tied behind his back? More pressure on him to make it a certain way or? Great question. I, I don't know if I can comment on that one. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I heard like rumors or whispers that maybe he was, you know, um, there was like a little bit less time to develop, but I don't know. I mean, maybe there was, maybe there wasn't. Um, yeah. I think, you know, based on like sort of the, the interviews and like talks that we've seen from him, I think that like he always strives to go out and tell a really good story. Mm -hmm. And I think that he's good at staying character focused and building the plot from that. And yeah. uh, he loves to ride the, the razor edge of comedy and drama. And I think that that was all very consistent in this, the, that, that yeah. film. So. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. I think that's what he was setting out to do. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if it was yeah. rushed or not. Not sure. <laughs> but with these exceptions that, that we've brought up so far, does it give, does it make you believe it? it will not only like keep the superhero film fresh, but do you think it'll reinvigorate the public's interest in some of those in, those particular films that worked as inspirations? Because again, I said, I mean, Joker is heavily influenced by the works of Martin Scorsese, Last King of Comedy, and Taxi Driver, and the Batman film was pretty much a love letter to Dave, David Fincher's work. Yeah. Yes, I think so. I don't know if the audience, the, the, the mass audience then goes back to check out, mm. you know, Fincher or Taxi Driver or something like that. I don't know if they do. I think that they should because I, I do yeah. like old cinema too. But I think that they just think like, wow, that's really fresh and interesting. And I think that they don't even always know where it comes from. Um, because uh, so we don't always I don't think we always go back to like the source of a genre or mm. something like that. Um, like I think of Rafifi when it comes to like the first heist film and not many people want to go check out Rafifi, <laughs> you know, cause it's, it's slow and it's it, by comparisons, it's just not as dramatic and thrillery mm -hmm. as a normal heist film. I mean, you compare that to like an oceans film, an oceans film is way, way more, you know, glossed up and, and looking fun. Mm -hmm. So I just think that we don't always go back to that source material. I think as artists though, I think as, you know, people who are creating content, we should keep that in mind that like there is something true and something that worked in those previous properties mm -hmm. and drawing the lines from those previous properties is a really important thing to do when we look at genre. Yeah, that's certainly, this approach certainly will keep anyone from thinking that the superhero film, which has been, I mean, obviously you've heard the myth that it'll probably go the way of the Western. And that was something that was repeated 
over and over again before these types of new these newer form of films were were appearing where they served as actual love letters i mean as epic as some of the more exceptional mc marvel cinematic universe films are they still don't they don't go to the levels of the joker or the batman film i mean i guess the the exceptions were i mean obviously i captain america winter soldier was an exception because it felt like a film that was heavily influenced by the set from films from the 70s. Sure. Sure. Yeah. The 70s is the highlight, in my opinion, was the highlight of cinema because it felt like they could take a lot of risks and just the culture of that time itself just created an avenue for amazing storytelling. If you've seen anything by Alan J. Pakula from that time, it's incredible. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, and they really are beautiful. I I think they're right. There is there is a lot of value and beauty to be had from looking into an older generation of, of storytelling. Yeah, yeah. And what do you feel about the newer generation, the newer generation of storytelling, especially given the current culture we're living in? You know, we were talking about some of the the modern films these days, and we were very nervous for one second. And it was right around the time of uh, we're, we're talking about Marvel a lot, but it was right around the time of um, the new Doctor Strange of madness, multiverse, multiverse of madness. Because it was the, the, right around then, at the same time, um, everything, everywhere, all at once was hitting. Yes. And it was right at the, I mean, like, and TikToks, obviously, in the culture as well. And we were like, is we're like, cinema? Is cinema, cinema just so like schizophrenic? It's just like so like <laughs> it's like a like. I like don't a know. Sensory, sensory overload. overload. Yeah, yeah. Is it yeah. going to just keep getting more sensory, more yeah. sensory? Yeah. And we were very nervous about that. I this is like a few months ago. I think I don't think it's going to go that way because after you see some of those films, <laughs> yeah, you then see other films that slow it down a little bit and and spend their time, yeah, you know, getting to know characters in a in a very human way. And I'm not. I don't want to discredit those filmmakers. Um, certainly not everywhere, everywhere all at once, but yeah. or everything everywhere all at once. Um, but I, I do feel like some of those films are so fast and they're so throwing much so much information at you like, cool. yeah it's I like do worry. on tiktok because tiktok yes. is an avenue for short clips and that's kind that's of a, the model that's exactly right and and you're just being with tiktok it's like like give me this crazy video okay now next crazy video now next crazy video and that's almost like how dr strange the universe <laughs> of Mad- madness was it was like it was like one scene, one crazy scene after another crazy scene. Let's have that crazy scene top that in the next crazy scene. And it's just like, whoa, what's going on even? Um, so, uh, so yeah, we were a little worried about that. Um, I, I think though, I think that just knowing anything about art history, uh, things tend to come in waves. You know, there's uh, something will be very popular for a while and then the next generation will rebel against that in some way. So even if we're going through sort of a a wave of uh, sensory overload, I think what's going to happen as soon as everyone's kind of done and sick of that is that we're going to see a reversal of that. Artists are going to go, it's been too much for too long. Let's step into something else. Um, so I, I do think that, that artists like Artists, by their nature, I think, like to rebel against <laughs> the culture that that they're being being immersed in, in some way. So I think that film will go a certain way, and then it will it will we'll see an ebb ebb and flow, and then we'll t- return to. I'm not sure exactly what what we'll go to after that, but I think it's going to be in some ways the opposite of what we're seeing now. Are there any particular films that have given you this impression and you feel more optimistic about that most likely happening? Any recent? Um, or like mainstream. 
what's that? They don't have to be mainstream. Actually, you just said the word you mainstream. Said, you said the word mainstream, and there's a movie called Mainstream with Andrew Garfield and Maya Hawk. Maya Hawk. And I think that one, oh, although that one is kind of a sensory overload. That one is a little schizophrenic too. Yeah, that one's a little schizophrenic. That one, that one is a great film though. It's um, really interesting. But it is kind of, yeah, it's got a sense of like a, there is some sensory overloadness to it. And at the same time, there's a, there's a sense of like kind of a film noir kind of sense to some of the scenes. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. it, it kind of plays an interesting I guess that film is in kind of a, I'd put it in a box of its own because it's kind of playing with this juxtaposition of old fashioned film noir kind of kind of cinema with like sensory overload, TikTok, YouTube explosions. Um, and that's kind of the theme of the movie, I think is, is True. that is playing with that. So um, that's an interesting film. It seems very meta in its approach. Like it's almost trying to- Yes, it is, it is very, very meta. meta. Yeah. yeah, and it's a great conversation about social media, specifically YouTube and yeah. how that is sort of affecting, you know, culture and things like yeah. that. It's great. Um, it's a really good film. Yeah, I'm also very, I'm curious. I mean, I haven't seen it yet because I don't think it's out yet, but I'm very curious about um, what's the new, uh, is it, I keep wanting to call it, is it Nope? Oh, we haven't seen Nope. It is out. Is it out? Yeah, it came out. I haven't seen it. I. Oh yeah, I'm. I'm very curious about that. I mean, I. I haven't seen it yet, so I can't say one way or the other. But um, I'm fascinated. I'm trailer agnostic right now, so I don't even know the plot of the movie. It just involves aliens. Yeah, that's that's exactly where we are too. About all I know as well. But I'm curious to see what he he's bringing to the table again. I always really enjoy his films for one. one aspect or another <laughs> yeah so we'll see yeah absolutely and well, else, you can think of anything else you know i do go to like some of the um some of the things that i like consider is just like what is quality cinema that i always like to revisit and like watch again like in recent years mm-hmm. and we always go to mindhunter over and over again uh, maybe because we just are like interested yeah. in that genre and we like you know some psychological thrill but mm-hmm. that is like that is something that is so well constructed i just feel like that will always be a source of inspiration for artists who like crime drama specifically. But yeah. I think it's just a genius construction of, of drama that you know we will appreciate that for years to come. And I think that that will influence culture and genre for years to come because it's just so well made. You know. Yeah, it's shame that we don't even know where it's going now because it's been on indefinite hold. No, yes. there was whispers even just a couple months ago that maybe there'd be a three. Yeah. And I almost feel like, I feel like they're dropping that into the public just to like, kind of like- see if we are yeah. interested in the idea. Yeah, and see if they can kind of like bring Fincher back in. They're like, no, you see like the, the world, the internet loves you. They, yeah. they want you to make this third season. I don't know. That's a conspiracy theory that they're, <laughs> that that they're planning. No, the, you said something very interesting because that's something about how culture itself can affect the trajectory of cinema because- I mean, remember a few years ago when Deadpool came out, the story about how the only reason that that film was greenlit was because many people were demanding to be made after somebody, nobody knows who, released Ryan Reynolds. publicly, well, most likely, publicly yeah. released a short film they made. And it had a very experimental quality to it to the point where people were demanding it to the studio to the point where they literally told the filmmakers, you have the green light, now leave us alone. <laughs> and it was made yeah. on a significantly lower budget than most superhero films and it may, had a great return and i and who knows maybe mindhunter will have a similar effect given the popularity because season one is great and season two is in a class of its own yeah mm-hmm. yeah. yeah it's a good show 
we really do enjoy that one. Definitely. That's like one of those shows that we revisit a lot. Is there a show like a, a modern show or a, a movie that you revisit a lot that like you think of as as like profound good cinema um, that you just like enjoy watching over and over again? Good cinema. Well, I don't. Strangely enough, it's not necessarily. I feel sometimes it had the same treatment as Mindhunter, even though it's continuing, it is continuing. It's just that the only season that is considered good is the first one. And it's an anime called Psychopaths. And- oh, Psychopaths is yeah, amazing. Psychopaths, yeah. That's when the psychopaths are sent out to hunt, right? Yeah. Yeah, but I think the first yeah. season is the only good one. And, the strength, and it pays tribute to a lot of the sci-fi cinema that it borrows from. It's not even afraid to mention the sources directly. And I think- yeah. And I revisit it from time to time, but I also come out a bit sour because I know that there are more seasons, but I'm not going to watch them because they've <laughs> taken away the very things that made that first season great. Yep. When it comes to Mindhunter, I mean, it did. the last season did leave a bittersweet taste given that it left too many open questions and really good questions. That's the, the probably the sad, the tragic part of it. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I think that that is... Right. It's like, it wasn't a traditional ending. It wasn't a yeah. traditional trajectory that you were hoping for from a television show. And that's right. part of the reason why it's, it's so great. It wasn't quite emotionally edifying at the end, Yeah, which I think is part of the reason why it left everyone with like, so you can make a season three or what? Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, let me, you're kind of freezing up think, there. Oh, no, you're good now. Okay. okay yeah. <laughs> Same here. Um, but yeah, that was just, yeah, just how we were saying, yeah, you were saying that it's, it's not a traditional ending, but it is a great ending um, right, yeah. for, for those reasons. And it doesn't even have the excuse of the pandemic because yeah, the, it did come out around the time the pandemic came out, the, I mean, started back in 2019, but at the same time, they, it, the real reasons they explain is just because of the creative exhaustion to cre the second season had. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah just knocked them out they said yeah which i believe because that's that's insane and when we were working on um call of the void you know it, it is it was like a fully immersive yeah. experience that we really worked on for like a year of our yes. lives to make yeah. that third season um and and honestly and ours is just audio that's one aspect of what would be an entire television show yeah. but but we do have abc stories everything like interlooping just like a television show so that was a lot of stuff to break yeah, the structure of it is very similar to a Classic television, classic te yeah. television show, American drama kind of thing. Yeah. I I noticed that on your profile that you've had it work with TikTok, and I just want to know more about that because you've told you've already mentioned that there's a danger of sensory overload, and I just wanted to know if you see any more positive aspects about something like TikTok because I don't use TikTok because I have a very skeptical view about the sensory overload aspect of short form video because even when i go on youtube i get the same short form videos even when i don't demand them based off content <laughs> I've, I've visited as much that is more occupying in terms of time yes absolutely you know undeniably tiktok has a very big audience because i think lots of people are on the platform lots of people are spending lots of the time on the platform and because of all those different talks there's like a lot of ways that TikTok can be used mm -hmm. and i think some of those are good and some of those are bad um kind of like with youtube or any other social media platform you know what i mean i think that there definitely is a lot of um 
you know, attention spans are very short on TikTok. Yeah. It's very user designed. So it's designed like a slot machine to keep you on the platform as long as possible. And so it's difficult to get an audience to go onto your platform and then like to go to your Spotify or something like that on TikTok, we're finding as, um, as creators and things, because people want to just stay on TikTok and scroll to the next video. So it's one of those things that's like ensuring its existence more and more, but it is difficult for creators to to step out of TikTok. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it's easy to it's easy to grow on TikTok as a creator. You just post every day and you just share content every day, and then you're going to start to climb up that algorithm. Um, it's like a as, if you could just literally blast out as much content as possible, you're going to climb on TikTok. It's just sort of an exposure thing. Yeah. Um, but it is more challenging. It's a little harder to, to have a career to branch off of that. that yeah. Yeah. Extends well, beyond TikTok if you are a TikTok user. It also delegitimizes longer content in many ways, especially True. when people become more dependent on this short form of content. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Which I think is uh, certainly a danger. I don't know. As you were talking earlier, if that's a trend that's going to like continue and we're going to yeah. continue down that road, or if at was, some point we're going to be like, that's enough. Yeah, to... I was I was wondering about that because there was an app that, um, what was that app that had like the short form videos? Or oh, the... you're talking about the one. Uh, yeah. You know, you probably know what I'm talking about too. It was the one, it only lasted for a couple of seconds. It was, but it had some like major A list actors involved with, Which so they would, um, do you remember what it's called? Oh, I, can't remember. I can't remember what it's called right now. Um, but but yeah, I mean, it, it was basically they they were taking the idea of uh, like an app that you watch short videos on, and they were trying to kind of make that be like like larger and more full scale. So they would have there'd be like a TV show that um, what's that his was, name? The that was being oh yeah, one of the Hemsworth. Yeah, Liam, Hems Liam, Liam Hemsworth. Hems Hemsworth was like the star of this TV show that was exclusive to this app. That mm -hmm. the episodes were like. I don't know what they like five minutes. Six, yeah, five minutes, six minutes. So each episode was only like five minutes long, and that's how that TV show was formatted. Um, however, the app failed, and no one. Yeah, no one. On no app one anymore. knows what the app is anymore. I can't even remember what the app is. <laughs> sure. Um, and so I, I don't know necessarily that people want their entertainment to be that bite sized. That bite sized. Yeah, yeah. I think that people want to have like their leisure to be kind of this mindless scrolling through but i don't know that art like that that movies and film are going to merge with that um i, I think if anything we're, we're seeing more of the the um sensory overload in a normal movie and not not necessarily like five minute movies yeah <laughs> i just don't know that people want that yeah <laughs> so. Mm, it definitely, I mean, there's definitely going to come a point where it breaks because one of the sponsors, yeah. one of the sponsors of my podcast, Fountain, is a podcasting app that, in addition to allowing you to earn Bitcoin while you listen to your po the podcast you like, there is a short form feature where you can actually cut a clip from someone's podcast that you liked and just edit it to your standard, like as wow. a favorite clip you'd like. I mean, I'll when I publish this episode, you'll be able to access the anchor link as well as the Fountain link that I use because. And it is fascinating because in addition to actually earning money while you listen to a podcast, which is fascinating itself, the fact that you can actually take a moment, you can like stop at the podcast and cut like a certain clip that you like and save it to your own library is interesting. It's like your own. That personal. is interesting. That like is super interesting. Personal. Yeah, I haven't heard of that before. That, that's pretty, yeah. Yeah, that's very cool. I mean, with TikTok, what worries me is the fact that it accumulates a lot of data in the algorithm and stuff. So that's just more, that's more of the alarming side. I think Fountain's going yeah. for a much more independent approach. 
Yep, absolutely. And just what you said there, I think is probably one of the scariest things about TikTok. You're right. It's completely customizing that experience for you based on a lot of data. And that is dangerous because like yeah. not many other places on earth, I mean, maybe Pinterest, but like does something so fast and so quickly grab your exact interests and spit it right back at you, yeah. um, which I think is. And is then you kind of think what's weird is you kind of think that that's like the universe. Like you think that that's what everyone is interested in, but it turns out, no, that's just what your TikTok is feeding you. You know, like even politically, if your political views are a certain way, mm. um, you know, it registers that. And so you think like, oh yeah, everybody thinks like me. See, all of these videos oh, are yes. think like me and, and it goes politics, but just art as well. You know, I, uh, if I'm not interested in a certain thing, this has happened to me very often like D, D is huge right now and i'm not i'm just not necessarily into D, &D but people yeah. are always talking about how D, D is everywhere on tiktok and i'm like i've never seen a D, &D video on my tiktok what are you guys talking about sure. it's just because like tiktok i i've never told tiktok i like D, &D so yeah. never got into D, &D yeah and so it's just but but apparently it's huge 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 on tiktok and i had no idea because yeah yeah because <laughs> it's not on mine <laughs> yeah and that uh, and the worst part is for someone who's not self-conscious it can actually like it can actually cripple their ability to think critically to a point where when they when they hear of some particular subject and culture their ability to rationalize of how to approach that or even think about it critically becomes diminished i mean a perfect example was like i mean look how many comedians have gone under attack just for expressing contrarian views and the way they're attacked is very is not just biased, but it go it even legitimate sources of information uh, criticize them in a way when a think where you think that they're not really thinking critically about the bigger picture, like you would think yeah. normally. Yeah, I think thinking critically is one of those skills that's not only just like like important nowadays; it's like essential to re to any medium that you're receiving, and any social media or even any like cinema or art or whatever to receive that and to think about it and to have an opinion mm -hmm. like as like your own identity receiving that information i think that's incredibly important and i think it's one of those things that is sort of pushed aside a little bit when it comes to like receiving content receiving content so quickly we just sort of you know uh we, we sometimes just fuse with things before we have a chance to sort of reflect upon them which yeah. is i think really important have you have yeah because like, like we said before kind of formulate your own opinion on yeah. Yeah, and nowadays we're even just making a statement that is an which is basically an opinion. No, no, just like me, like stating an opinion itself can be controversial. I mean, I don't, I didn't follow the whole controversy with Joe Rogan deeply, but the way he was attacked is for making, for expressing an opinion that was in disagreement with the mainstream narrative, and in a very casual way, just garnered so much negativity that a lot of a lot of sources I used to respect just attacked, but in a way where it didn't reflect their ability to review the situation in a critically reflective manner. Yeah. Yeah. Very... Yeah. We didn't follow the Joe Rogan um, yeah. controversy super much. deep either. I was aware of it. I knew that it existed, but I don't even know really what's like, yeah. you know, resulted as a, as yeah, a result no, of it. But. I guess what generated my attention to that was that it reminded me of the Joker phenomenon where the, the media was promoting this idea that this film is going to promote violence. And I thought to myself, are we still really believing that phenomenon that films promote violence rather than people being self-conscious enough to, dif to differentiate between real violence and fantasy violence? Because I guess, I mean, it makes more, I mean, it makes more sense to criticize the culture of film that 
definitely replicates a lot of violence, but to say it inspires violence, that it, I thought was an argument that was long dead. Sure. Yeah, that's an interesting conversation. Um, you're right. I, yeah, I, I think it goes to show that, uh, yeah, that opinions, sometimes opinions that we think are even dead are sometimes around and, and in culture longer, you know, than we think. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's an interesting conversation. I think, you know, what, what it's what it's getting to with me is that as an artist, you do have a responsibility for what you are showcasing as mm -hmm. um, you, what you are showcasing. I mean, I think that like what you do create and what you do showcase, there is some weight to that. And what you're kind of glamorizing. Yeah, and what you are kind of yeah. glamorizing. There is some importance to that. I know there's a lot of conversations about that right now with, um, the um i want to call him tate but his name's not tate his oh, name is evan peters. evan peters and he's uh in the new and, um Je jeffrey dahmer mm -hmm. um television show and how people say what's that evan peters people are, yeah, peters, yeah um the, the one who's uh yeah the the new dahmer show you know talking uh -huh. about yeah people are talking about how that is glamorizing like uh masculine violence and how that is mm -hmm. you know making a suicide or sorry making a serial killer uh, sexy or cool things like that. These are some of these conversations that are being had about that. I think it, you know, as an artist, we do have a responsibility a little bit on how we present things, mm -hmm. um, and I think that there are a lot of topics that we can have conversations about, and, th and I think that um, it's important to have intelligent conversations and uh, yeah, and just know what our voice is saying. And and from things. and from the opposite end, from the viewers' end, it's important. Like, like it's important to if there is something that's presented to us that's violent or something, it's important to like take that with reason and, yeah. and not just go like, wow, that was cool. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I think it's important to leave emotion at the back in the back seat because that can interfere with your ability to think critically in these issues. I mean, the Jeffrey Dahmer <laughs> is news to me because I didn't pay attention to that because I haven't seen anything related to Jeffrey Dahmer. I think that the more interesting aspects regarding him was the idea of sanity, given that he was never declared insane, despite all the sick things he did. Sure. So sanity is just a legal term, but I'll definitely check that out. I'm you did, but you bring up Andrew Tate is fascinating because I don't endorse or openly condemn what he's saying, because I find him fascinating that a man can just talk is at least on a positive level. He's introducing people's ability to talk about the issues he's talking about. Whether you agree with him or not, I think definitely he shouldn't be censored. That's for sure, because even that opens up a conversation about censorship. Sure. Sure. Yeah. 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 And sure. uh, I guess aside from TikTok, are there any other projects you're currently working on that you're liberty liberty to talk about, or you just want to keep, or to a limited degree? Absolutely. Well, I think the next biggest project that we are working on is a film that we're developing called House of Ka which is going into production uh, in January. So just a couple of months here, we're gonna be filming that. Um, and uh, that one is, it's gonna be great. It's an adaptation of one of Bram Stoker's lesser known, lesser known works. Bram Stoker, the guy who wrote Dracula also mm -hmm. wrote a story about mummies, which is called The Jewel of the Seven Stars. And all of the pieces in that novel are, or novella are quite lovely, but they don't quite hit uh, yeah, perfectly. The, the novel was not a success. <laughs> no, which is, it wasn't. Which that's is why fun. you probably have never heard of it. Yeah, um, yeah, it was. It got very mixed reviews when it came out. Um, so, um, but we um, we kind of ha have adapted it in such a way that uh, it takes a lot of the characters and the general 
idea of it, but changes a lot of things. So it's, it streamlines, you know, it makes streamlines it streamlines a lot of things. And I, and I think we even have, we have different messages and different themes that we're saying than, than Bram Stoker's was just kind of like, there's a mummy curse in the house and it didn't really, there wasn't much like uh, subtext to it other than that. It was just kind of basic Victorian mystery. And I think we, we use that platform. We use the very basic story and the characters to talk about um, some deeper, higher things that are just more relevant to the culture today. Yeah, so that's oh, gonna be really cool. No. Go ahead, yeah, that's no, you. No. Uh, what were those deeper themes that got you interested in some of Bram Stoker's um, lesser known works? Good question. I, we love Bram Stoker just in general. I think uh, Dracula is a lovely novel. And I think that his kind of style of writing, this Victorian literature is something that we just enjoy. Around the Halloween times, we just like to read Victorian literature because it's it's like moody and it's dark and it's it's interesting. And I think it's something that we really enjoy. So once we started to like learn about some of these other lesser works, we became very interested in them. And this novel in particular is um, it's a it's a feministic novel, um, at least by the standard of Victorians, which is not our same standard of what feminism means today. Uh, that's obviously a term that's that's evolved. Uh, but I think that what are some of the other deeper themes? I think you know talking about the difference between culture is also a huge theme in this. Yeah, and, and I think and to be to be a little bit more specific about it, um, the kind kind of what we're bringing to the story is. Um, not just feminism as far as the blanket terms, but specifically the um, the objectification of of women, kind of just like this this idea that um, that women are sort of like used like for the um, um, for the pleasure of men, or or that that it's just like like basically. Um, like women have a certain role to fulfill and and men are sort of on uh, like in charge of that um Not so that's kind of, of the pyramid yeah 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 exactly um so there's a there's a definitely a metaphor going on with this it's basically this um general story of of this kind of not not spoiling much about it if i think if i say this there's just there's a mummy that's been transported from uh egypt to the the english victorian in an english victorian uh manner household and that is kind of it's a metaphor of like sex trafficking even like human mm. trafficking like you're literally ripping this woman's body away from where she is meant to be and and kind of saying i own this now i own this this mummy this woman, because uh, it is a it's a female uh, mummy. It's like I, I live. This is literally an object that I'm going to use for my own financial benefit or my own, um, you know, what what whatever it is that Space. they that, exactly. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of as an artifact of display, a mummy. Absolutely, and and that's exactly that's exactly the the theme of it. It's like this is on display. This is um, to, to be gawked at. This is to be looked at, and. Um, and uh and not like respected as something more than an object um so that's kind of the that's kind of the theme that that it has um it's it's mysterious it's a it's a horror there's a there's a curse going on so there's all these beautiful layers funny mysterious uh hopefully scary <laughs> uh and uh and and i think it that we're attempting to have a a very important message and, and theme in there 
as yeah. well. But yeah, so that'll, that'll be going into production, uh, like we said, January, and then we'll be doing some posts on that for the next few months after that. And then uh, we have some producers attached who are incredibly talented and they're gonna send it up the pipeline after that. So yeah. it will go out into the world and it will have a place once it's yeah. it's done and ready. So that'd be great. Well, certainly sounds interesting. It looks like it'll start a conversation, especially with the human trafficking and objectification elements. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We're hoping so. We're hoping so. <laughs> well, I, I guess, uh, Michael, Josie, I really want to thank you guys for giving me the time of your day. And I, aside from your IMDb profiles, where else can people go to learn more about you and your work? I mean, do you have any other links you'd like to share that just so that way you, it'll be easier for people to access your information? Sure. Absolutely. Um, probably our our production uh, website, you want to just like yeah, acornartsentertainment.com? Yeah, acornartsentertainment.com is not a bad place to find out about some yep. of our stuff. That has information on uh, like some of our major things that we've done, such as Call of the Void, information on House of Ka coming up. Mm -hmm. And um, and then all of those kind of, you'll see, they each have their own page. So you'll be able to filter through and find social medias based on mm -hmm. those different pages. So those are, that's yeah. a great way to- Would you mind sending them to me and I'll include them in the description? Oh, we'd absolutely. be honored. That'd be incredible. Thank you for wanting to share those. Oh, absolutely. And if you don't, and I would, uh, would you mind if I actually shared you with some of my material, like my Substack, where I po post my short film scripts? And uh, we love that. Yeah. Of course. Oh, we would Please. love to read that. Yes. Please. I even have a feature length I wrote, and I don't know if you'd be interested in looking at it and seeing if yeah, it's something about it. Absolutely, yeah, we love, love to, to read fellow uh, writers' uh, scripts. I think reading a writer's script is one of the best ways to meet that writer. You know, it's like yeah, a great way to, to like, have a handshake. Yeah, yeah, like see like what, what you're all about as a writer. Yeah, what your interests what are. What your interests are, yeah. Where yeah, your voice is, we love that. I think you guys like you who want to be your own bosses would definitely want to enjoy Substack given that it basically allows you to own the content more. Oh, that's yeah. Absolutely, that's cool. Yeah, I'm definitely going to take a look. That's one of those things I wrote down in this meeting yeah. that I'm interested <laughs> in, well, in looking up as soon as it ends. Michael, Josie, I want to thank you again. Send me your, your, the links so that way people can learn more about you. I'll upload, I'll include them in the description and I'll let you know when I upload the episode. All right. That sounds all great. Right, we are yeah, so grateful for your time. Grateful. Thank yeah, you for having thank us. Thank you on. so much. Oh, thank you. You guys have a nice day and I wish you the best of luck in your work. And I'm very, very much looking forward to what is the name of your project? Call of the House call of the, Call of the Void. The is call our no, House of, house of and then House of Ka spelled uh, K-A. Oh, K-A. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense for the Egyptian iconography. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Again, thank you. And I wish you the best. And I look forward. And if you ever want to be on the podcast again, just send me an email. Gosh, thank Sounds you so great, much. Man. You betcha. Yeah. Take it easy. Yeah. Cool. Take thank it you. easy. Have a good one. <laughs>